Over the past 40 years, the Star Wars films have formed one giant immersive story following the Skywalker family through generations of struggle, failure, redemption, and hope. We have followed the thread of the great Skywalker lineage, traveling from Anakin to Luke and Leia, and then through the infamous Kylo Ren, also known as Darth Vader's grandson, Ben Solo. And while these characters are central to the space fantasy epic, did you ever stop to think who's actually telling this story? Star Wars creator George Lucas has referred to R2-D2 in the past as the narrator of the two trilogies. In Chris Taylor's book, How Star Wars Conquered the Universe, animation director Rob Coleman recalled what Lucas said to him on his first day of work on Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Coleman said Lucas's ultimate framing device for the Star Wars story was that it was being, and, and this is from Taylor's writing, recounted to the keeper of the Journal of the Wills, a reference to the title of Lucas's original version of the 1977 film and it took place a hundred years after the events of Return of the Jedi by none other than R2-D2. And it makes sense. R2-D2, the little droid that could, has traveled the galaxy with the Skywalker family. R2-D2 served as Anakin's astromech droid and one of his most trusted allies during his childhood and throughout the Clone Wars, as we saw in the prequel trilogy and in the Clone Wars cartoon series. He then became a messenger for Anakin's daughter, Princess Leia, shuttling the plans to destroy the Death Star to one of the last remaining Jedi, Obi-Wan Kenobi, in Star Wars. He also saved our heroes' lives when they were trapped in the trash compactor while attempting to rescue Leia, and by the end of the movie, R2 had become Luke Skywalker's co-pilot in his successful mission to blow up the Death Star. In Empire, R2 traveled with Luke from the ice planet of Hoth to the swamps of Dagobah, as Luke sought out the Jedi Master Yoda to teach him the ways of the Force. He followed Luke to Bespin, and again helped to save him, along with Leia, Lando, Chewbacca, and C-3PO, from the clutches of Darth Vader and the evil Empire. During the rescue of Han Solo in Return of the Jedi, R2 was part of the plan, ready to send Luke his lightsaber at a crucial moment of battle. The droid also made his way to the planet of Endor and was a key part in shutting down the Emperor's second Death Star and saving the galaxy from the Empire. R2 was with Luke during the really good times thereafter, when Luke started a school to teach the younger Force Wielders, the future Jedi of the galaxy. And he was with a heartbroken Luke when Kylo Ren destroyed it all. R2 was part of the team that flew to the planet of Ak2 at the behest of General Leia in the far reaches of the galaxy to find Luke, who was so distraught he had gone into hiding. And it was R2, with the help of a 40-year-old holographic message from a princess, who convinced Luke to use his power as a Jedi to save the ones he loved one last time. R2-D2 was there for all of it, and he and his golden buddy C-3PO will continue the Star Wars story for generations to come. And in the same way that R2-D2 was a connecting thread throughout the movies and the series, the Star Wars toys and the films from which they originated have been a constant force in my life. They were the creative outlets to me as a child, where I could sit for hours telling my own stories using the, vi the figures, vehicles, creatures, and playsets Kenner produced. And when I grew out of playing with toys, collecting them became the way I expressed my continued and growing love for the films and the figures. And as an adult, that love of collecting the figures and toys I grew up with has caused me to travel to places I have never been before, to attend events I never thought I'd have the chance to attend, 
and to have established friendships with people from all over the world I might never have known otherwise. All in the name of Star Wars. So as we conclude the Early Bird series of podcasts, this is a look at how the modern storytelling behind Star Wars found its footing, and how the figures from the past 20 years are finally getting the appreciation they deserve. This is a glimpse at what lies ahead, with new films and newer characters that are capturing the hearts and creative minds of younger Star Wars fans. This is the fourth and final Early Bird episode about how and why I became a collector, and what the world of Star Wars means to me. This is just the beginning. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. R2-D2 and C-3PO are the only characters that have been in basically every film and every animated series since Star Wars entered our culture in 1977, they form the bridge that connects the older stories to the newer ones. And for me, collecting has been a bridge across the entirety of the Star Wars toy universe. Over the past few years, I have ventured into the collecting realms of the modern Hasbro Star Wars figures, and into both vintage and modern Star Wars prototypes. When I began collecting Star Wars figures again in 2011, I made what I felt to be a very wise decision. I would not waste my money on any modern Star Wars figures. And initially, that was a hard decision because Hasbro had revived the line by creating characters that were previously unreleased or were from the expanded universe and had packaged them to appeal to collectors. However, as I noted in my second Early Bird episode, A Princess and a Purpose, the modern Star Wars line did not meet my criteria for collecting on a modest budget. I had decided I could collect as long as what I had purchased would retain its value, so I would be able to enjoy the hobby without experiencing the stress of losing money. And at the time, modern Star Wars collecting failed my three-point criteria, having an emotional connection on a large scale, items being available in a limited supply, and having a continued relevance. Collecting vintage Star Wars figures met all three points, but the modern toy lines just couldn't. As to the first point, an emotional connection, there was still a backlash against the prequels and against the Power of the Force 2 figures that Kenner used to reintroduce the line in 1995, after being dormant for 10 years. So the nostalgia wasn't quite there yet. The second point, a limited supply, is what keeps people interested in collecting, what keeps us hunting. Kenner and Hasbro had really ruined the modern Star Wars hobby by flooding the market with figures during the release of each prequel film, or by trickling out a few waves of figures here and there as people drove themselves crazy hunting for them, and then filling the shelves with them only a few months later. 
And while collectors were initially excited by the return of the characters and toys we loved, the mix of frustration and oversaturation caused many to abandon the idea of ever pursuing these newer toys. As for the third point, a continued relevance, that one was the hardest to see clearly at the time. After all, there was still a love for Star Wars, but the output of content in films and on the small screen was uneven at best. The prequel movies turned a lot of the older fans off, and the younger ones who grew up enjoying them were too young to collect at that point. But there was hope. The Clone Wars animated series of 2008 was the last Lucasfilm property led by George Lucas, and was the first helmed by Dave Filoni. And the Clone Wars took risks, the majority of which paid off due to exciting characters and developed storylines. Eventually running six seasons and for more than a hundred episodes, The Clone Wars is the most intensive and immersive Star Wars story George Lucas has ever told. But I was a latecomer to The Clone Wars series, and only watched the series after it had ended and started running on Netflix. In 2011, it just wasn't on my radar at the time. I knew that people watched it and enjoyed it, and to me that meant that in some way, the Star Wars story would carry on for at least another generation. Little did I or almost anyone else know, Disney would buy Lucasfilm for $4 billion the next year, with a plan to produce Star Wars stories across all media for decades to come. And those characters that were spotlighted only a few years earlier, like Captain Rex, Asajj Ventress, Darth Maul, and the one and only Ahsoka Tano, would be important in future Star Wars stories, like the Dave Filoni-led Rebels animated series, or in standalone films like 2016's Rogue One, or 2018's Solo. And as my obsession with Star Wars grew, I went back and watched the original hand-drawn Clone Wars cartoon from 2003 and 2004 that took place almost in real time between the release of 2002's Attack of the Clones film and 2005's Revenge of the Sith. And I was hooked. The cartoon, a series of five-minute shorts, were originally released on the Cartoon Network and gave fans a deeper peek into the actual Clone Wars. It also focused on Anakin's ascent to a Jedi warrior and his descent into darkness that eventually leads to his destruction. The cartoon also introduced the character of General Grievous as a relentless, nearly unstoppable killer. The hand-drawn Clone Wars series contained a depth and intensity, not to mention an excitement that the films that surrounded it were sorely lacking. And after finishing that two-hour, two-season series, I longed for more. So I began watching 2008's computer-animated Clone Wars series. The biggest strength of the Clone Wars was its long-form storytelling, giving viewers intricate, multi-episode arcs. It also reintroduced many of the characters we met previously in the prequel trilogy, like Mace Windu and the Jedi Council, Padme Amidala, assorted bounty hunters like Aura Singh, and some of the intergalactic dignitaries like Lot Dodd. And within these 20-minute episodes was an opportunity to properly flesh out these characters so we would see their purpose for being included in the story, and we would connect with and care about them in ways we never had before. When you think about the original trilogy, one of the main reasons we still talk about the Star Wars saga today is because we cared about what happened to these characters. The heroes and heroines felt like family to us. We watched and rewatched because we wanted to be on the Millennium Falcon. We wanted to fall in love with a Leia or a Han. We wanted to see Luke become a Jedi. We wanted to witness the defeat of Darth Vader and the Emperor. We still do. And it's because we care about these characters and these stories. 
And honestly, for me, Clone Wars was the first screen-based story since Return of the Jedi that made me feel for the characters and feel like I knew them, like they had substance. I'm not disparaging the prequels. To some viewers, they are some of the best of the Star Wars stories. But to me, I came away from them not caring enough about Obi-Wan or Anakin and feeling disconnected from all the other major and minor characters. With the Clone Wars, I finally developed a deep appreciation for Obi-Wan. Voiced by the amazing James Arnold Taylor, Obi-Wan ran the gamut of humanity through six seasons. Bold leadership, a stubborn nature, fear, courage, love, lost, self-doubt, and a myriad of emotions mixed with decisions that affected an entire galaxy. The show also gave us Anakin at his most confident and most heroic. And then, through the complexities of long-form storytelling, introduced the confusion and doubt that caused him to succumb to the Emperor's deception, as he ultimately lost himself to the dark side. Since Episode One: The Phantom Menace came out in 1999, the Jedi Plo Koon has always been my favorite character design. I say design because his screen time in the film and its two sequels probably added up to less than a minute. He was more of a prop than a character. I loved the way he looked, but I knew nothing about him. And yet, in the Clone Wars, he had a substantial role. He was a Jedi Master, as well as a leader of a division of clone troopers who took on some of the series' most dangerous and challenging battles. Master Plo was also responsible for rescuing Anakin's eventual apprentice, Ahsoka Tano, when she was a child, and taking her under his wing. Seeing that one fact play out on screen endeared me to him in a profound way, because it provided a history of his heroism and guidance as a Jedi. It also connected him to Ahsoka, who was slowly becoming my favorite modern character. And that connection with the characters of Star Wars was what I had lacked for such a long time. And to experience it again propelled my excitement for the story, and for collecting. Suddenly, I had a reason to collect some of the modern figures— because they meant something to me. My first modern prototype was a Plo Koon figure from Attack of the Clones. I won it from a Rhode Island auction, and I picked it up for three reasons. It was a prototype of one of my favorite modern-era characters, I won it for a really great price, and it was already authenticated and graded. At the time, I knew very little about prototypes. I had a few vintage pieces, but the vintage pre-production market was so expensive, and the idea of assembling a collection at such high prices just wasn't feasible. But this Plo Koon was under $100. I could enjoy it without feeling the stress of spending a paycheck, or five, on it. And here's a strange thing. From the day I bought it in 2016, it wasn't mine until almost a year to the day in 2017. But that's a story for another time. And while the story isn't important right now, it was the fact of not having the item in my possession during that time that pushed me to seek other modern prototypes to fill that void. I had also been going through the Clone Wars series at that time. With each season, I was becoming more and more attached to the characters, more invested in their storylines. And among an already impressive stable of characters, one in particular stood out to me, Ahsoka Tano. Next to Luke Skywalker, she had become my favorite character in the Star Wars universe. So my decision to start collecting modern Star Wars prototypes didn't happen on a whim, or because I was looking for something else to hunt for. 
It was the result of feeling a deep connection to and a love for the characters within the modern stories. What originally propelled me to revisit the toys of my childhood as a collector was back again. Collecting is often a way to keep tangible reminders of things that by nature are often intangible. The moments that shape our identities, the characters that become our anchors in life, and the events that affect the way we see ourselves and the world around us. It's why we buy souvenirs when we travel or visit someplace special. Those trinkets mean so much more because they stand for something just out of reach, something we may never be able to articulate. But we'll always be reminded of it. We'll always feel it. And so for me, if collecting vintage Star Wars toys was a way to reconnect with the films and figures of my childhood, then maybe collecting modern Star Wars items and prototypes was a way to reconnect with the early excitement of collecting itself. It was a cycle I never thought I'd be able to experience again with fresh eyes, but every part of it felt new again. From meeting new characters like Ahsoka and Captain Rex, to deciding to commit to collecting modern prototypes, to jumping feet first into a territory in which I was a complete stranger, the experience was thrilling and uncertain. And like my return to vintage collecting, the beginnings of my venture into modern prototypes, it's somewhat blurry. It's like that first semester of the first year of college, where you're not familiar with your environment yet, and everything is new, and you're a little overwhelmed by it all, and your mind is just trying to keep up with the rest of your body as you slowly acclimate to your surroundings. But there are moments, Polaroid snapshots that I was fortunate to hold on to, that stand out to me from early on. And the blurriness is part of what makes them so special. One of my earliest modern prototype purchases came as I was sitting at a diner in upstate New York. A friend had invited me into a prototype collector's Facebook group that morning, and one of the first posts I saw was one by Carlos, a collector from Mexico. He was selling about 16 different modern Star Wars first shots. Those are the first plastic versions of figures, which can often come in colors different from the actual production ones. I remember eating breakfast, my eyes widening as I came across this image and there was a genuine mix of excitement and uncertainty. I used every bit of peripheral knowledge I had gained while collecting vintage Star Wars figures to try to figure out just what I was looking at. I knew the figures were modern, and although I had only a general idea of which lines they were from, I contacted Carlos and made an offer for half of the lot. His prices were very reasonable, and my goal was to buy them and to use them to learn about the figures and the process. Owning these pieces would push me to research them until I knew as much as I could learn about them. But I couldn't pass them up. And for me, that was the moment in which I committed to collecting modern prototypes. But the impact of the day wasn't over yet. After breakfast, I visited a friend's house and saw his collection for the first time. He is one of the larger collectors of vintage Star Wars prototypes on the East Coast, and his collection is just astounding. As I stood in front of his glass cases, my eyes traveling from one piece to the next, I remember saying to myself, I will never own a vintage prototype collection like this. I didn't say it with any frustration. In fact, to me, it was a statement of reality, and there was a sense of freedom in acknowledging it. 
Glass case after glass case was filled with items that had taken years of tracking down, of trips out to Ohio and following Kenner employee leads, and I had missed out on that experience. It was the result of another era, of decades past, and would be impossible to replicate today. So I stood there and I said to myself, I will never own anything like this. But that wasn't the end of the sentence. In fact, I remember finishing this thought with, but I can do this with the modern Star Wars prototypes. And during that same day, sitting on a couch and talking about Star Wars with a longtime collector who had largely moved on from vintage Star Wars prototypes to bigger things like props and original art, I asked him if he had any advice for me as someone who was entering the prototype world through modern figures. His answer was short, but perfect. He said, buy hard copies. So what are hard copies? And why would my friend offer that as his sagely advice? Well, hard copies are one of the earliest stages of a figure, a resin casting from mold of the original wax sculpt. Many are hand-painted as well. But usually, only a handful were created in the pre-production process, and very few are actually available to collectors. Hard copies marry all of the elements we collectors love. Preliminary design, handcrafted and artisan work, and extreme rarity. What he was saying to me was, if he could go back in time, he would have snatched up hard copies for all of the vintage figures he wanted to collect, which at today's prices and accessibility would now be a pipe dream. But with modern figures being much more affordable, the rarer pieces and the ones at the early stage of production were still obtainable. For me, it was confirmation to a route I had already started to take. I had purchased my first hard copy figure, a 2008 Clone Wars Plo Koon hand-painted sample only a few weeks before, simply because it is my favorite modern figure produced. And in my collection, that hard copy is really at the top among the pieces I own. Hard copies feel sturdier because they're made out of a high-quality resin instead of a plastic, and the fact that this Plo Koon was hand-painted made it feel more like a piece of art than a toy. From the moment it arrived at my house, I became obsessed with it. And while I wanted more, the price of a hard copy was not cheap. But it wasn't expensive either. And still, for modern prototypes, it was a stretch. But now I had that confirmation that I was on the right track for collecting. And I took my friend's advice. I learned as much as I could about hard copies and about first shots and proof cards and all the other aspects of pre-production. I read any articles I could find, And when I couldn't find anything else to read, I spent hours studying photos other collectors had posted online. A friend introduced me to many of the private social media prototype groups, which opened a door to many new friendships with collectors who had the same interests as I did. And my interest in modern prototypes has only intensified. The prototype community is a special one. Because there really isn't a prototype store or a prototype handbook, we as collectors have to reach out to one another and to exchange information we've gleaned along the way, and to trade, buy, or sell prototypes. We look to those who started collecting years earlier to guide us through the hobby, and then at some point, we become the teachers for the next generation of passionate collectors. It's a great hobby because the only way to really get anything out of it is to put yourself into it fully. And those bonds of friendship that you build along the way is really the best part of it all. With the modern prototypes, there's still a feeling of having a landscape of unexplored terrain in front of you, and your willingness to explore makes you a crucial part of the community, no matter what you own or how long you've been collecting.
So that is how I became a collector, and why I'm so passionate about collecting vintage and modern Star Wars toys. Star Wars has always been a part of my life, and I hope that continues for decades to come. It has given me different moments of purpose throughout the years, funneling my passion for the films into collecting during my early teen years, chasing the toy line as it was reborn in the 1990s and early 2000s, collecting again at the end of the first decade of the new millennium, seeking out a community who shared the same love and interest in the toys that I possessed, traveling to different places in the country for meetups and for amazing adventures, and now, in creating a podcast that I hope captures the excitement of collecting and of the films, shows, books, and stories that keep the world of Star Wars alive. Thank you for spending some time with me. I hope you've enjoyed these early bird episodes, and I can't wait to share all new episodes with you in the coming year. Together, we'll learn about the process of making a Star Wars toy, from prototype to production. We'll travel to other states for collector meetups and toy shows. We'll discuss the films and television shows of the past, present, and future. And together, I hope we experience all the things that make collecting Star Wars toys something special. Hey, R2. We were just talking about you. Of course I'll go with you. I'm always up for another adventure. Well, you heard the droid. I guess another chapter in the Star Wars story is about to begin. Thank you for being part of Star Wars Prototypes and Production, and we'll see you next time. Okay, I can wait for me. Here I come. All right. Let's go. All right.